interview experts on the dangers of social media and how to handle them in the real world. Today, I'm here with the Director of Counseling Services at Louisiana Tech, Dr. Ashley Owen. Hello, and thank you so much, Mary Laura, for giving me this opportunity. This is something that I know is near and dear to your heart and obviously an important topic. Otherwise, we wouldn't even be here today. So mm -hmm. thanks for the opportunity. Of course. I'm super excited to actually know Dr. Ashley Owen very, very well. We're close friends, but for our audience who doesn't know you personally, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. So I was born and raised not very far from Ruston, Louisiana in Farmerville and graduated from Louisiana Tech with a bachelor's in sociology and then decided that I would get a master's in clinical mental health, not really knowing where that would lead me. And so I did that and I've done some work within mental health and then decided to go back and get my PhD in marriage and family therapy. And so I, I completed that. And um, now, like she said, I am the director of counseling services at Louisiana Tech University. And I can't say enough about how much I love um, what I get the opportunity to do and, and serve the students that I get to serve. So was there anything specifically that really sparked your interest in counseling? I myself am actually kind of interested in counseling. So was there like a moment where you were like, oh, this is, this is what I know I want to do and this is why I know I want to do it and that I should do it and that I should pursue this? Yeah, I would say there's probably a lot of things. Um, and so if I'm just kind of looking back at times in my life of, of things that kind of led me on this journey, one I would definitely say is I have siblings and, and my mom was very intentional about getting to know us as people and, and our interests and our values and talking to us about professions that may would align with that. And so those were ordinary conversations for us. And so growing up, I wanted to be an attorney. Specifically, I wanted to do adoption law and, and connect families. Um, I thought that was a very important role that I could serve. I wanted everyone, and, and this is the innocence of a child, I wanted everyone to have a family like mine. And so I think I took the term counsel maybe a little too literally. And so that kind of morphed into counseling. And I, I guess that's a part. Um, another thing is, and it really didn't lead me on my journey to counseling because I was already graduating, but I did lose a a close family member, my maternal grandfather to suicide in 2013, and that really shaped not only what I currently do in the profession, but who I am as a person just in general. And so if I'm looking back on, on the things that kind of shaped getting me here, those two things are very important. Aside from that, it is pure luck. It was, I had a year of tops left or a couple quarters of, of tops left once I graduated and I had a year to use those and so I took the GRE and applied for a, a program at Louisiana Tech which just so happened to be that clinical mental health program got in and and the rest is just is God's timing and working so that along with all of that along with people in my life and so I can remember um, being an undergraduate having a class with uh, Bob Levy, Rick Emerson, uh, Dr. Gary Stokely and so all of these pivotal people that were in my life as a college student that really started pouring into me as a student and um, leading me to what I now do on a daily basis. Wow, that was a really powerful. Um, I've been asking all of our experts kind of like how you became interested in your field. Has been there Was there a pivotal moment for you that made you understand that this was your passion? It's been really interesting for me, and I know it's going to be interesting for our young listeners that are kind of trying to make their own way in life and figure out what they're passionate about. So thank you for sharing that. 
So before we get started, you are here to kind of tackle the mental health aspect of social media. And so the first thing I want to ask you just to kind of preface the things that we're going to be talking about is kind of how does the teenage brain work? Why do we engage in the situations that we engage in? So I think one of the biggest things that we need to talk about is the difference between our brains as adolescents, teenagers, and our brains when we become an an adult. And when I say adult, I'm I'm really using that term speaking to the 26 and older Mm -hmm. population. So we actually use a different portion of our brain as adolescents, um, that amygdala, um, rather than that prefrontal cortex, which hasn't developed in those early years. And so we're looking at that impulse control. We're looking at the decision-making that is not quite developed yet. And so if we're talking about the teenage brain, the way teenagers act, the way they make decisions should all be held accountable for, for those things. But we need to recognize as parents, as educators, as advocates, that it is very different. We're accessing a different part of the brain because that prefrontal cortex isn't yet developed. And so impulse control, regulation, decision-making, that's all going to come much later in life around the 26 age, give or take a few years, depending on the person. Okay, so in regards to social media, you're talking about like impulse control. So like what kind of situations are teenagers more likely to engage in online in their like adolescent years versus their adult years because of the underdevelopment of that prefrontal cortex? I think there's a lot of things because we're not looking at the consequences. We don't have the ability to look mm. forward as teens, adolescents. We don't have the ability to look forward and look at consequences the same way we can as adults. We're not being able to look at the consequences that can lie in utilizing social media. We also have to take into consideration the different things that come from social media. And so in, with your interest, I know that you are constantly kind of looking at research and, and different things that social media, both positively and negatively, or bringing into individuals that are close in your age. But we need to look at like the dopamine, what, what we are getting from social media um, more than just followers, more than just, oh, I've got this idea about a recipe or um, an outfit that I can wear. It's really something that is happening inside of us as individuals and especially in those early years. I love the point that you made. Like we aren't able to fully understand the consequences of our actions when we're doing the action and I I think a lot of times I hear parents being like like I know better than you do and my generation especially like we question everything like we have to know a why and most of the time we don't get that why like why do my parents know much so much better than me like I'm the one who has grown up with social media I know better than them so it's really interesting to hear from like a scientific perspective like literally adults understand the consequences more than a teenager like scientifically they're going to understand that more so i think that's a really valuable point for our listeners for sure i read up on ashley a little bit before we started this and so i saw in your bio that you really specialize in anxiety Mm -hmm. and i actually personally struggle with anxiety and i know right now it's a really hot topic like everybody is super struggling with anxiety right now And so I was wondering if you could kind of go through the role that social media can play in anxiety. Like what are some key things that social media contribute to the anxiety crisis that we're facing right now in our teenagers? 
Absolutely. So um, when we talk about bullying and just an, an online presence that can be negative, we're talking about comparison. We're talking about people that say things on social media without any real consequence or understanding of consequences. And what we know, unfortunately, in most recent years is that social media can uh, be so detrimental to someone's health and mental health specifically that they start having more thoughts of taking their own life or just depression in general. And so what we know is that social media can promote bullying and that can lead to suicidal thoughts and individuals dying by suicide. We also know that comparison Comparison happens every day. It can happen between you and I just sitting here. It can happen as you're watching this. But on social media, there's not as many boundaries, right? Mm -hmm. um, you and I will leave this space um, once this is done. You walk by someone and you compare yourself. Well, that is that is a individual moment that is going to change and, and we kind of move on. But social media allows us to just dwell in that. It allows us as much time as we allow social media by scrolling, it allows us to compare without any boundaries. It allows that bullying to occur without any boundaries and so when we're talking about anxiety social media is limitless in the the amount of anxiety that it can uh, present by the way of just common occurrences like bullying um, and and I know that I, I've talked about that a good bit just here within this subject but bullying and and self-comparison I don't know that you can put a limit on the amount of anxiety that one can feel just based on a simple scroll on social media especially when it comes without boundaries Wow yeah I love I'm, I'm big on the comparison thing so one thing not even just like with the limitless being able to scroll like there are limitless filters mm -hmm. and Photoshop and whatever you can put on all of your pictures and nobody has to know. And I think right. that's really dangerous as well for the comparison aspect. It is. And I think one of the things, one of the beauties of uh, what I've noticed recently on TikTok is this, I think it's a, a bold glamour filter. Yes, I've seen that. Yes. yes. Funny enough, the the other night I was like, okay, I just want to see what, what this what this is like. And so let me tell you. <laughs> It will, it will make you really take a look at yourself. But, um, and, and it'll automate, for me, I, I, I can remember sitting on my couch and, and looking at it and I was like, oh, maybe I need some lip filler. Maybe, maybe I need to contour more. And so it just started, it was rapid. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, whoa. Like this is this is really powerful, and it's not powerful in a in a positive light for me in this moment. And so I can only imagine what that's that's like for others, or the anxiety that it may cause. And so what I, one of the good things I found on TikTok recently is I see people utilizing that filter and them saying this is not life, or this doesn't look good on me. This is not what I want to look like. This is not mm -hmm. what I want to portray. And so while there's there's a lot of negativity about just social media in general and and TikTok and and filters. I do see that in this instance and in, in talking about that bold glamour filter, that was one positive thing that that came from that is people are are, are pointing it out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I think we talk about anxiety a lot, and I never really understood this until like the older I got, the more I understood it. Mm -hmm. But I didn't really understand the concept of anxiety 
And and I have a question about that. Like, does anxiety live inside all of us? Is it a diagnosed thing? Does it stem from somewhere, some trauma? Like, how how does anxiety work? So anxiety, without getting too scientific, because obviously I'm not a neurologist, mm -hmm. anxiety, I, I really hesitate to use the term normal, but a healthy amount of anxiety can be good. We all need that healthy amount of anxiety to motivate us. It motivates us to not be on the couch. It motivates us to get in the gym. It motivates us in ways that, that other things do not. And so a healthy amount of anxiety gets us, gets us to where we need to be. But an unhealthy amount of anxiety, I think it's subjective. And that is commonly argued, but um, I think it's subjective. And knowing what triggers those anxious feelings, not just a common feeling of anxiousness that motivates you, but this overabundance, um, this overstimulation, so much so that you're debilitated or you're not enjoying yourself any longer maybe in the space or in the experience is important to know about you as a person. And so when I work with clients and we're talking about anxiety, really understanding what promotes anxiety, an unhealthy amount of anxiousness in one's life is really important because then you know, okay, this is when I can expect to feel these feelings or maybe I'm more prone to feel these feelings. And then you learn coping techniques that may help you and how to utilize those in those settings. Or sometimes you have to say no to really great things because it's not what's best for you or maybe it's uh, specific times. And, and so really understanding how anxiety works in you as a person is important. Wow, that was very enlightening for me, for sure, and I, I know it's going to be for our listeners. So I know from prior research, I guess, like I, I've, I've, you know, dug a little bit about social media, but from what I understand, our brains are not wired to handle the mass audience that social media provides us with. Is that a trigger for anxiety that you've seen? Like, what, what is your opinion on that? So when we talk about uh, social media and what that gives us, and I mentioned this a little bit earlier, looking at what social media gives us internally. So we're talking about dopamine and oxytocin. Dopamine wanting, uh, being that pleasure chemical. What we know is it controls want, dopamine does. Um, and so that desire to seek and want more. And so social media directly impacts dopamine in our brains, also oxycotin. And so that's the cuddle hormone that's ordinarily shared when um, someone is kissed or, or hugged. There are studies, even one that I've seen in 2016, that talks about the rise in these hormones in the body when we start utilizing social media. And so um, we are not wired to manage the amount of social currency that we are currently getting, meaning that how do we manage millions of followers? We don't most likely know millions of people. And so um, we're not made, our brains are not made to manage that. Um, we're also not made to manage the amount of messages that we receive and the messages that we need to send to the amount of people that we have on social media. And so um, there was a study that I was looking at and it talked about social currency and and so social currency and dopamine and, and oxytocin and, and, and all of these correlations. And so it, it read that with one 10 minute 
amount of time on social media, there's a 13% spike in dopamine levels within someone's body, um, which is similar to what someone may experience on a wedding day. That is crazy. That is so crazy to think about. And we're taking that, what used to be such, and, and still is such a sacred time in one's life, their their wedding day. Think about all the emotions that are wrapped into that and the feeling and all that, that we hope to feel on those days. And we're getting that in 10 minutes on social media. What, what do we do with the rest of our days? What do we do with the rest of our lives? And so all that to say, um, just like our bodies, we're taking in so many calories. Um, we know that as a nation, we are more obese than, than ever. Mm-hmm. Our bodies are not made to intake the calories that we're taking in. I uh, correlate that also or very similar to the amount of social currency that we're taking in. And so we're, we're sharing all of these things on social media. We're getting all these accurate all of these hormones that I mentioned are rising and and then we just kind of drop we plummet when all of that is shut off or when we realize we can't manage it or when it's negative on social media and so all that to say this mass audience um, our brains are not wired for that just like our bodies are not made for the amount of calories that we're intaking each day I know that's kind of a rough comparison but no it um, totally makes sense but it, it definitely worth the thought. Mm-hmm. So when you're talking about that plummet, is that where we tend to see like the rise in depression, anxiety, self-doubt, suicidal thoughts? Like whenever we get that high and we constantly are plummeting, like is that where that comes from? Yes, and so um, think about a so, a social media and instant gratification. And mm-hmm. so much like our blood sugar, if we were always here, that's, that's not positive that's not going to work for our bodies and so social media is the same thing when we have that spike we've got to come down somewhere and so when you see that decrease um, for whatever reason maybe it could be that cancel culture is a big thing Mm. and so maybe someone is experiencing that then if you're accustomed to having a high level of social currency and constantly being engaged on social media and then all of that is taken away or if you're a teen or adolescent, think about a phone being taken away because of, of consequences, mm. then what are you supposed to do with your time? What, how are you supposed to feel? How are you supposed to get that rise in, in those dopamine levels that you're accustomed to? So something me and Joel kind of realized the other day when we were talking is that people love to be liked. That's something we long for as humanity. We want to be liked and we want to be accepted and validated by our peers. And that is verbatim what social media provides you with. You get the instant gratification and that dopamine spike that Ashley's been talking about with a like button. Mm -hmm. Literally people are just online validating the fact that they like you and they like your life and that's just, that's just a way that I put it into perspective. Well, and I think something else to mention is the like button has value to it more than just how we feel and and the dopamine spike that you talked about, but it has monetary value. And so there are lots of people in this world that are making lots of money because they're liked. The value went up considerably because now we're talking about people that are making a living off of being liked. Just feel like that's a whole bag to unpack. Like that's a <laughs> it whole. It is the influencer lifestyle. 
I can't even understand it. That's a, that's a whole other thing. But I do, for our listeners, want to unpack how if you are spiraling and you're really struggling with comparison, you're looking for that validation, you can't find it, you're getting depressed and getting anxiety because you're trying to find what you think you need and you can't online, do you have like a, say, let's say like a three-step plan on how to kind of get yourself out of that spiral and put it into perspective? Boundaries. Boundaries, boundaries, boundaries. Um, boundaries are so important. Knowing what you need and setting those boundaries, being very realistic with yourself. And so while I don't have a three-step plan, I would say first and foremost, boundaries, evaluating, is this good for me? And in, if it is, in, in what moderation? Um, that's one thing we're not really good with is, is moderation just as a society. Um, but looking at those boundaries, do I need to unfriend someone that their social media is just not really positively pouring into my cup? Or, or do I need to limit? I know that on an iPhone, it will allow limits to the amount of social media that you can access each day. And so um, knowing those boundaries and, and, and putting them in place and adhering to them. And then also grounding techniques. And so when you feel yourself spiraling, grounding techniques. Grounding techniques can look different for many people um, and can easily be utilized. I would suggest just Googling grounding techniques and, and looking through the different options or of course working with a mental health professional to identify some grounding techniques that may work for you. Mm-hmm. So I know if I'm being super open and honest here, I know that something that my generation really struggles with is recognizing that something's unhealthy and still wanting to be a part of it. Me and Lindsay were talking a couple episodes back that she has asked like a class that normally is a universal experience. Mm-hmm. Like, have you had creeps in your DMs before that are asking for weird things and it feels very uncomfortable? Well, if you don't get to say that that's happened to you, even though it's not a good thing, you still feel a little bit ashamed and your mind immediately goes to, well, was I just not pretty enough for that creep to want to DM me in the first place? Right. And so my generation, we are pros at recognizing situations that may be unhealthy Mm -hmm. and still wanting to participate in them. Do you have any, like, I know you can't help somebody who doesn't want to be helped, Mm -hmm. but do you have any tips or ways to get out of that mindset? Well, it's difficult because, as you just mentioned, that mindset is promoted. Mm-hmm. I, I work with college students, as we mentioned, and college students need money most often. And so it's, it's funny you mentioned Lindsay because Lindsay and I know each other well. And one of the things that we talk about with college students is uh, monetary <laughs> exchange. College students need money. There are creeps in your DMs that'll Venmo you $10 just to have a conversation with them. Looking at yourself and your time as, as, as value. And I, I can't say that enough. You are more than likes. You are more than the conversation. You're more than $10. You are probably much more than you give yourself credit for. Your value is much more. And so I can't say enough, and, and this is a whole nother bag that you could unpack um, and, and maybe you'll talk about with another guest, but the, the lack of value that we have for ourselves really shows through when we're talking about this subject. And so if we're talking about parents, we're talking about teens, I can't say enough about having conversations about your value and your worth um, and recognizing when that's not being acknowledged and removing yourself from those situations. Also understanding that a DM can have 
so many consequences. Something just as simple as that can have so many negative consequences. And so a safety aspect needs to be a part of those conversations. And so to kind of wrap that all up with a bow, I would say identifying your worth and having conversations with others about your worth when you find yourself in those situations. And having conversations with your friends, not shying away from those conversations because it may be uncool. Continuing to promote in yourself and others that you are worthy. So Ashley, we've talked about a lot about mental health and anxiety and depression and self-doubt in comparison, but specifically there's a very hot topic going on in the social media realm right now, and that is disordered eating. I do want to bring somebody in for an entire episode on the disordered eating that is very popular on social media right now to kind of unpack that baggage. But from a mental health perspective, from what I understand, it can become a very self-absorbent issue, problem, whatever you want to call it. And so I'm wondering for our listeners, if you do see somebody struggling how would one approach that situation? Well, I would say approach it with a lot of thought first and foremost. Having these conversations are not easy. Compassion is not always relayed when these conversations occur. And so knowing that having these conversations may completely end a relationship and weighing those pros and cons is is very important. If we're talking about specifically how to go about the conversation, you may want to rely on an adult or have a conversation with an adult or a mental health professional on how that conversation may can go. But I think looking at what is your goal in having that conversation and working from there. So if your goal is to identify that someone's eating habits or exercise habits are unhealthy, um, or maybe it's lack of um, exercise habits are unhealthy because disordered eating we know is not just anorexia and bulimia. We also know that binging is a big part of disordered eating, although not commonly talked about binge eating and and obesity, all parts of disordered eating, but looking at what is my goal in having this conversation. And so if your goal is to, which I think one of the, the important things is identifying that a problem may exist, my first go to would be asking that person or in, in, in saying, these are the things I'm recognizing, or these are the things that I, as well as these others are recognizing in your life. And it may be that you're not eating. Maybe that's, um, or eating very much. And hey, I noticed, um, and so that conversation, to give an example, may go like this. Hey, I noticed that when we drove through the McDonald's drive-through on Tuesday that you only ate like a quarter of your kid's meal. And then when we went through Chick-fil-A, you, you didn't order anything. And then we went through Cane's, I just noticed that you, you had a few fries. And so I'm wondering, do you, do you feel that's healthy? Is, is that what's best for you? Asking the question rather than going with judgment of, I don't think this is healthy and, and I think you're wrong. 
There is no right or wrong. There is no good or bad. And so going in with a question that is full of, of compassion and, and a lacking of judgment is really important. Something else I would add into that is looking at the language that you're using. Again, we're not right or wrong. We're not good or bad. What are we really trying to, to say? And in so recognizing that language is important in having that conversation. Um, but ultimately, give it thought, consult with, with someone you trust, weigh those pros and cons, and then really evaluate what is my, if you decide to move forward, what is my goal in moving forward? What, what message do I want to transfer in this conversation? And, and, and then go from there, knowing that ultimately, you may have to come out of that conversation knowing that you did what was best um, for that person, you had their best interest at heart and you came across, you delivered a very difficult message out of care and concern the best way you knew how, and that person wasn't receptive. And maybe that friendship ended then and being okay with that. You can only control the message that that you wish to receive, uh, to send or your intent. You can't you can't control the impact of what that's going to do to the other person. You can hope that it will um, be received well and that ultimately that person will get the help that they need. So actually, I have noticed in my generation especially, social media brings to light the issue of self-harm. And so I'm wondering for our listeners, what where does that urge come from? Where does that idea come from? Like, why is that a thing? Why do we do that? So I think one of the important things to note is the actual origins of self-harm. And the way I understand the origins of self-harm is actually in self-mutilation. So that is from ancient ages. And in ancient times, um, self-mutilation was actually used to relieve pain rather than inflict pain. And so I think that's important to note, not only the origins, but relieving pain rather than inflicting pain may actually be a misunderstood portion of self-harm. And so let's talk a little bit about what self-harm may look like Mm -hmm. as an observer. How do I identify self-harm? And so self-harm can look very different. Most commonly, we're talking about cuts, scrapes, burns, um, hair pulling, biting, and it can often be to relieve pain rather than to inflict pain. So I think it's important to note that not only where self-harm as we commonly know it, but self-mutilation originated, and also to clarify that often it is to relieve pain, just as it was in ancient times, rather than to inflict pain. It becomes dangerous when it is lethal, when it um, threatens someone's life. One thing that we use or a technique that um, is commonly used in in therapy is rather than cutting or um, non-lethal versions of of self-harm, using like a rubber band and kind of popping it sometimes can be a distraction from the pain that is here. And so it re-centers, it redirects my attention to the pain that is here relieving me from those thoughts that I may be having that are much more painful than the rubber band that I'm popping on my arm. Very interesting. But it becomes dangerous when someone is in danger of taking their own life or harming others. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times you see self-harm kind of morphing into suicidal thoughts. Like is that a 
a, like a common pattern that comes from that and that's why it's like such a such a concern in the beginning still i wouldn't say that it's a common pattern because i i don't want to misspeak and say that mm. those that self-harm are, are thinking of harming themselves or others um, because that's definitely not could not be the case i think self-harm should bring an awareness to those around us as well as ourselves that something isn't quite right and we need to seek help we need to seek the resources that are around us and so if you are a bystander if you're listening to this podcast or watching this on youtube i think it's important to be aware of your surroundings be aware of those around you and have the courage to have those conversations and the conversations i'm referring to are hey are, are you thinking about harming yourself are you thinking about harming someone else and if you don't have that courage, finding someone that can help you have those conversations. Mm -hmm. Just taking the time to to have those conversations or find someone that can help us have those conversations truly can save a life. And so I, I, I don't want to automatically uh, link self-harm and suicide, mm -hmm. but they definitely are commonly associated um, when we talk about self-harm leading to suicide or suicidal thoughts. Mm -hmm. So you spoke about resources, and we've talked a lot about all the mental health issues that can stem from social media. So let's touch mm -hmm. on the resources. So these problems arise. Mm -hmm. What's the next step? So the next step is look at the resources that are available to you. And so we are local here, and so we could talk about the local resources that are available to us. But there is a new suicide hotline that is available almost nationwide. We were just talking about mm -hmm. is on a lot of places. It's, it's on the back of my high school ID. Yeah, and it's reference. on all the new marketing tools that we're using in our office. And so knowing those resources as well as I encourage everyone to Google online therapy, Google suicide hotline if you're looking for resources and see what comes up in your area. Um, so I hate to give a, a resource list here today that wouldn't pertain to all of your viewers and listeners. Mm -hmm. Of course, you can always utilize 911 if it's in the case of an emergency, but my suggestion is talk to those around you. Um, get the help of an adult if you are underage. Find someone that can help you lead that person to resources. Ask those important questions. Um, seek out the help of a mental health professional. Um, most states have a licensing board, and so you can look at who is licensed in my state for mental health, and, and it's very easy to find resources. Also, online um, therapy, so telehealth, is more popular now than ever um, with the rise of the pandemic and, and us not being able to utilize mental health resources like we have um, ordinarily in person, telehealth has, has come to arise. And so mental health resources, whether it be by way of suicidal prevention and awareness or just regular resources for mental health care are more available now than they ever have been. And so find out what's available to you just for your general reference but especially if you know someone that may be in need mm -hmm. and I feel like that's one of the biggest positives about social media is that everything is so accessible if you're looking for answers you can find them 
Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, like we've talked about much today, social media has, has positives and it definitely has its negatives. And so knowing those boundaries are important and, and knowing what social me media can help you with will lead us to a better place and hopefully looking more at the positives and less at the negatives. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Ashley. I know our listeners are going to be fired up for this episode. I have learned so much today and I'm so excited to share this with you all. Thank you for coming in today. Absolutely. Thank you so much and thank you so much for investing some time and I hope that you got something from this and from this you will go and invest some time in learning about those resources and have the courage to reach out if you know someone that needs. Mm -hmm.